0: Welcome, listeners, to the Why Am I Talking podcast, broadcasting from occupied Tongva land in Southern California, Long Beach. I'm Miles, and I'm here with my co-broadcasters, Vic and Jordan. Vic, how you doing? Uh, There was an action the other day uh, for the people's budget in Long Beach. Mm
1: -hmm,
2: mm -hmm.
0: How How did that impress upon you? What did you think?
2: Uh yeah man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh Jordan and I were there, you were there. We were supporting Black Lives and talking about uh the people's budget. For some context, yeah. like the people's budget is like a proposal where they go through the budget and replace the bullshit of what Mayor Garcia comes up with and restructures it to work for the people. So we were out there supporting. It's a whole coalition of groups out in Long Beach. Edited by like Black Lives Matter and a nonprofit called Long Beach Forward. And we were out there supporting and educating the people about exactly what the people's budget is. This is like the next step to defund the police, Defundlbpd.com. Y'all go check it out. Uh, this is an answer to that, the next step to that.
0: Yeah. yeah, right on, right on. Jordan, you were there too. What, what did, how did you feel about the event? What were well, I'm
2: feeling of? really good because it's the
1: next day and I somehow didn't get a sunburn. So that's like a first for me.
0: Um, I felt
1: I felt good about it. I was like hauling around a speaker uh, and it just felt good to just like just have a specific thing where I'm just like setting stuff up and amplifying people's voices, literally. Um, And I Word. just feel like it's a really good that people are coming ar- together around a specific call to action with the defund stuff because. Honestly, man, I'm really tired of the liberal bullshit. I mean, I always am. But like these politicians, especially the mayor and other folks are just, you know, they're just saying the words black lives matter. Black, to quote the mayor, black people that go through a lot of bullshit. And then they fund the police. Exactly. And it, yeah, yeah, they're just taking all that energy from the past actions being like, that was nice. That was a nice thing we all did that didn't mean anything. It's like, <laughs> no, motherfucker. We're not forgetting,
0: especially BLM is not just going to like move on, you know? Mm-mm. Yeah, I agree. Nor should any of us. Nor should no. any of us move on. Um. So I think it's good that people are. We're getting
1: more. You know, the past protests were good too, but I like. I like specific. You know, like you can't wiggle out of this one.
2: Yeah, and I was talking to some of the BLM, uh, LBC folks, and they were like, "Yeah, man. Like education is a big part of this. Like we need to educate. Like it's yeah, go out there. You know, be loud, make noise. But having that captive audience is a time to educate." <laughs> and speaking of like you know providing space something happened where we come up to an intersection and i look at jordan and he looks at me he's like all right so when the light turns red we're going to walk in the middle of the intersection and just set up the speaker stand and you can get on there and then introduce the speakers and i give him a look like wait what he's like oh yeah, yeah <laughs> we are going to take the intersection all right and yep. we forced mm-hmm. the cops to sort of be crowd control for us because we were mm-hmm. such a nuisance. We had enough people that in order to like keep the peace, they had to like block traffic for us. So basically that gave us the opportunity to take the intersection. And at that particular intersection, the people that were speaking were two young black folks and they were like under 21, maybe like both oh, for sure. super young. And, and as they're speaking, I'm realizing it's like, Oh, this is, this is it. We need to present space where people like this could discover skills within themselves that they can't discover unless they do this. No one Mm. knows they're a political leader until they stand in the middle of an intersection that they go through their whole lives. And now they're sitting there talking about policies and Black Lives Matter as a crowd cheers. That changes a person, especially Mm. when you're at that age, at a formative age. And we're providing space to make that happen. We planned that whole shit out to make that happen, right? Uh, and then, yeah. it's an inconvenience. There were some people that got caught up before the cops blocked off the road and they were trying to like get through and people were coming through and some of our security people just stepped up. We're like, hey, you, sorry, like I know this is an inconvenience but y'all gotta just turn around. Even the cops are just telling people, yo, just turn around. Like leave these people alone, turn around. Yep. This one driver right. did not want to turn around. He wanted to uh, come through where we were going and pass. Yeah. And as one of the speakers are talking and she's like, I've never had, they were like, I've never had an opportunity to say something like this in front of people like this. And then this car is trying to pass. And I just like, you know, sat down on the road and was like, no dude, you're like, you're not passing. Like this Mm -hmm, is my role. So they could speak. So I'm here to stop you. Yes. I understand it's an inconvenience, but check it out. Even the cops are telling you just turn around. Yeah. Yep, all the night hours turned around. Yeah, go
0: ahead. I want to point out too, you know, stopping that driver wasn't just you; it was a community no. effort, and it oh, really shows.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Ultimately, you know, we we were in solidarity, and um, we occupied the intersection, mm-hmm. right? And honestly, you know, yeah, it we shows blocked how- the the traffic, mm-hmm. um, and you yeah. know that's that's disruptive. That's disruptive. With yeah. disruptive, um, we're going to be disruptive until the demands are met to fund lbpd
2: yeah
1: and that's that's how we want it to be honestly and i think it shows how people folks trust each other and honestly how you know the trust is there and the plan is there because you know i heard the engine revving and i look behind me and i see a big group of people and vic lying down on the street and this shows you how long i've been organizing with vic i was just like okay that's happening and then i turned back to the speaker and i was like that'll be fine like, cause I didn't want to distract from, I exactly. was handling this, the megaphone basically. And I didn't want to distract from the person speaking. Cause uh-huh. I'm like, Vic and the security folks have that handled. Like
2: if Vic gets run over, then I'll intervene until yeah. then we're mm-hmm. good. And I told, I went up to our security people. I was like, yo, the only reason I did that is because I saw y'all there. Like mm-hmm. I, I would never lay down in front of a car by myself. Like no way, oh, yeah. no way. Like, but I made eye contact with the guy. And I was like, oh, he had a shot. He had a shot. There was plenty of space. He hesitated, and I laid on the floor. I was like, you lost, dude. Like, sorry. <laughs> you had your shot. You literally had fix, your shot. You lane. know what I mean?
0: With uh, four ton vehicles. It is what vehicles. it is. And it's like, there's
2: more of us, you know?
0: Yeah. And the LM is out there,
2: you know, they're like shaking their head, like, nah, sorry. Explaining. He's like, sorry. He's not trying to listen, yelling at people. And like, yeah, our security people was like inching, saying, hey, no. And then, yeah, I just sat on the floor and was like, this ends. This ends right now. Right now, there's no more distractions. You're just going to turn around like the other 10 cars did. Sorry, but not sorry. Black Lives yep. Matter.
0: Yep. Black, Black lives. lives Matter. We're occupying space with a purpose, and that exactly. purpose is defunding and abolition. Exactly. exactly. Um, Definitely. I also wanted to, you mentioned education. It's really screwy that our pol- political involvement is so Byzantine, so complex, that... We need to have extensive, <laughs> ongoing education just to participate. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's it's an unacceptable situation. That needs to change, too. Yeah. That needs to for change, real. too. Dude, for the real.
2: People's budget. Like, without this, I, I wouldn't know what's going on in Long Beach. And it's a deep dive. It's not like a five-minute, like, oh, okay. It's like, no, you have to, like, deep dive, go into it to see what's going on. And then someone has to break that down for the masses. And that's what happens at these rallies. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Damn
0: straight. All right. You know, it was an exciting event. Thank you for all the updates. Uh, We were all there. Solidarity, power, Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter. On today's episode, our main topic is going to be the gig economy. So, yeah, today's. Today's topic is the gig economy, and as socialists, we have maybe not exactly the same understanding, but I think a similar understanding of what exactly it means to be working under a capitalist system as a worker, Uh, and that comes from the labor theory of value, which is pretty much that if you're working, Mm -hmm. that's your time, and that's valuable. That that has inherent value, Um, and that you are compensated. For your time and your labor, which is creating the value, uh, and we see within a capitalist system, the capitalist class or your, and your employer is there to exploit the excess value that you create, and this is called profit.
2: Yep, or misery.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> mis- misery, profit, profit for the capitalist, misery for the worker. One man's misery is another man's profit. <laughs> they say. <laughs> yeah. Not only misery, sometimes death, sometimes dismemberment, Uh sometimes maiming, Mm -hmm. long-term health health effects, cancer. Depending on what field you're in, so yeah,
1: I mean it's interesting because we we view the gig economy as such a modern concept, and it is. But you know, I mean these this idea of just like not escaping all regulation and not taking
0: any responsibility for your workforce is a
1: very old one
0: in America. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Regulation that has been hard won. By the labor movement of the United States. By socialists and communists. Anarchists. And workers and oh, anarchists. anarchists yep. And unions. Uh-huh. Within the United States. For all of us. The 40-hour work week. Overtime payment. Health benefits. Paid vacation. All that the great weekend. stuff.
2: The weekend. The yeah. weekend.
0: Yep. 8-hour work day. Thank you, Vic. The None weekend. of that's
1: part of the gig economy. Nope.
2: Nope. Yeah. And... Oh, uh, go ahead, Miles. No, no, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just gonna bring it to here. Like I was around in like 2009. I was making a transition from my quote unquote nine to five to my career, mm. and I had a little bit of time working pre. Um, what is it? The Great Depression? Is that what we're calling it now? The Great Recession. My bad. Great Recession. Yeah, Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, this yeah. one's the Great Depression. <laughs> <is part laughs> too. The alternative great. name is just the Depression. <laughs> So, yeah, so when uh, Bottom fell out the economy in 2009, I had, like, maybe six months working in my career, and it was great. I had little experience. I jumped in there. I was making tons of money. My phone was ringing off the hook. It was great freelance work. And then the Bottom fell out, and that never came back. Those six months that I had before the Bottom fell out never came back, and that gave me a tiny, tiny taste of what – Two thousand nine America was like how abundant it was. I have and, a question too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead.
0: You said freelance, right? So yeah did did you get benefits in any of your gigs?
2: No, mm-hmm. no. But it was plent- lots, of lots of gigs, lots of gigs, lots of work. It was plentiful enough for me to supplement. Not like yeah, I would just pay for my health care, and I'd be okay with paying for it because I had enough resources. So then, after the bottom fell out, apps started coming out. The gig economy was that term was coined. Meaning, you got your iPhone, you download an app, and now the app is your boss. The app through this portal is how you get work, schedule yourself or not schedule yourself, and even get paid. You put in your bank account number, and everything is funneled through this app. This is the gig economy. And we all know it. It's Instacart. It's Uber. It's Lyft. It's Amazon. It's all that. Any more examples? Did I miss Anything? Uh DoorDash. Ah yeah, oh, yeah. Uber. Oh, eats,
1: oh, too. oh I guess no.
0: it's still Uber though. Oh, TaskRabbit, which Task I tried Harbor. to do for a while, Task but Task Rabbit. That didn't work out. Home repair is just like general contracting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically.
1: But you can do almost anything on TaskRabbit, but yeah, a lot of like home maintenance. General everything.
0: contracting is so dangerous.
1: like yeah, yeah. you know, you can't build a bridge, but you can replace someone's drywall probably
2: with it. It's it's fucked up. Yeah, totally fucked up. And like you said, now. Through this app, all the regulations and hard fought um, wins we got through organized labor are gone because now that relationship has been fundamentally fundamentally changed through this fucking app. And guess who would benefit? The workers.
1: Uh, let me guess. Not the workers. Uh. <laughs> right, I know the answer to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one of the things where the the lines on the graph start to depart profit yeah. versus
0: compensation? Hey, yep. hey, we have we have to be careful. They're they're not workers. They're gig, gig, gig workers.
1: Independent contractors. Independent they're their own companies.
0: companies.
2: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, a little context, I did Lyft for a while. Yeah. And it was great. Like the driver incentives that they gave you at the beginning were awesome. Yeah. And Sutton told me to be like, yo, after I kept getting these different driver incentives, I'm like, wow, these are very specific. I wonder if they're just like specific mm-hmm. to me. So I screenshotted a few.
0: Can you give an example of one?
2: All right. Yeah. It would say, all right, if you do. 10 drives in the next six hours will give you like a $200 bonus. And you're like, oh shit. Like, I'm not even going to make 200 bucks fucking with those 10 rides. But like with that and that, that's great. Mm. But the longer you got into it, the incentives got worse and worse and worse Mm. until there were no more incentives. And I'm just like, well, I'm spending 12 hours a day sitting on standby, driving people, canceling rides. They're canceling rides. And I'm just like, when I'm done, I'm like, almost an hour away from my house, I got to drive back to the house. Like, what the fuck? It didn't make mm. sense financially anymore. Mm. And then I just stopped. But you know what? There's another person who needs, who could just fill the spot and goes through that same cycle of like, okay, they get the good incentives at first, and then all of a sudden, they're not down with it. It's several of my friends have gone through that same cycle with Uber and Lyft. They try the it out. first
1: it's always free, as they say.
2: hmm
0: yeah,
1: exactly. They On some had, drug dealer you, shit.
0: You supplied the... Uh... The physical capital you supplied—the car, you supplied exactly. the gas, hmm? right? Yeah, they're not paying you beyond the clock.
1: No, but you're your own business. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I always, I
1: always find these these gig economy companies, the newer ones at least, weird because, like, let's take Lyft and Uber as an example. I like to call them the venture capital uh, money black hole. They lose billions of dollars yeah. every quarter.
2: Exactly, dude. Like, how is that a business? I thought businesses are supposed to make money, right?
1: Yeah, and like, it's because they say they disrupt. They're disrupting the industry, which is code for like they just figured out a way to skirt labor laws in the way like a taxi company can't, for example. Mm-hmm. And all like, right. this is the big promise that is like getting has gotten Silicon Valley to to fork over like, oh my god! I mean, all total, we're talking about maybe a quarter trillion, probably more, over the amount the lifetime of these companies. Disgusting amount of money. Like an F35 program worth of money. Um, and you know, obviously, like there are some things they do display some things in older systems like taxi cabs that did need updating. But overall, they've made no money. And their whole promise is to form a monopoly explicitly to their shareholders. Their whole pitch is that like with Amazon is that it's gonna be a monopoly. Now, Amazon's profitable, so that's not a great example, but you know, with a lot of other these companies like Snapchat, for example. Like, it, these companies have never made fucking money, dude. So honestly, I, I understand how that money flows through. I just, on some level, I don't understand how
2: these, it's sustainable. Wait, so they're losing all this money, but somebody's got to be, there's got to be some profits being extracted somewhere. Like, this just can't be an exercise in burning money. Well, that's a great point, Vic. The, the
1: profit is being made by the CEOs, right? So ah. the CEO of Uber, the top, the top that's dogs. Paycheck, exactly. They get massive money. They get the stock dividends. I mean, they're making these companies make a killing with stock investments, right? You could buy their stock yeah. and sell it at a higher price. Got so it. the investors are fucking happy. And then this capital comes from uh, finances a bit beyond me because it's all made up bullshit. But, you know, there's a lot of money to be made up and loaned out, you know, with the large banks and venture capital. And that's what keeps the system running. And honestly, the only reason it's still running is because of the trillions that got pumped in. What was that, six months ago by the Fed? Oh, gosh. Once that money yeah, dries up, and like it fucking 5 will. Trillion. Yeah, yeah, once yeah. that money dries up, this whole thing's going to collapse
2: like a house of cards, man. Got you. Yeah, it's just like it stopped the inevitable. Like it's going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was listening yeah. to Richard Wolff and uh, a yeah. fantastic economist. And they're just, yeah, his perspective is just like, look, this is just a balloon. <laughs> it's going to pop uh i think he was talking about it lost the because the economy the stock market lost 30 percent right at the beginning of this right yep yep and then yep. now it's back up to i think higher than it was then yeah. it happened mm-hmm. and it's just like yeah you're just blowing hot air in this thing yep it's gonna it's gonna pop you know and and the thing is you know the stock market isn't reflective of the real economy's health but yeah yeah
1: well it's gonna make the dot-com boom look our bubble burst Oof. look like like a child's play. Hey, let's play a fun. uh, It's not directly the gig economy, but it's kind of the gig economy. It actually is because the people who charge the scooters are gig economy workers. Let's play a fun game. Which one of us, which one of us has uh, a scooter app on our phone? I do. Do you guys have them? No. How about you, Miles? Fuck, just me? Okay, just you. you. Wow, you can't play the game with me. Okay, Uh, this is a fun game I like to call, and I do it every week during COVID, and it's called "Did the scooters come back?" And I'm looking, (laughs) and I'm looking the entire city of Long Beach. Oh nope, not even one man, not even one scooter in the whole city. So this is a classic example of this is what's gonna happen to Uber, right? Bird can't get big loans anymore because like Uh, all the
0: investors pulled out, so uh, now they're just gone. The birds limes i mean have you really? seen any of those
1: things
2: around no no
0: maybe a few in downtown but like yeah not not anymore yeah it's almost all gone and like this was like gonna be the big revolution in transportation
1: like imagine if all the buses disappeared <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: gosh
2: yeah and it shows you they is going on fine before them and without them well not fine but like we yeah. didn't need them that's my point. No. We didn't need them. We didn't they didn't add value to anybody's life except the investors making money off it.
1: You know, Vic, I want to push back on that point a little bit because I I think you're right that we didn't need them the way they were done with a capitalist system, but I would love supplies like scooters, right? And you same with so? Lyft and Uber. Really? Like for real, dude? Same with Lyft and Uber? Like I I like the idea, it's just I don't like it in a capitalist paradigm, you know?
0: Interesting. I, I mean, I would have liked to have seen uh, Pretty much from my perspective, Lyft and Uber, they came in and they're like, hey, we have this great technology and we can just distribute taxi services to private consumers. Be like, hey, you're your own boss. When in reality, we're you know, going to dictate what you do. I would have loved to have seen that implemented in taxi systems. I mean, that would be great. You know, uh, make people have medallions, have it municipally run, have revenue go to the city as opposed to some fucking capitalist. That would be great. Same thing with uh, the scooters. I think it, it could work where the fees go to the city. But also, I don't know about how many scooters they lost. Like, people just taking them and taking the batteries, et cetera, and scrapping them. Yeah, in
2: Baltimore, they were chucking them into the river. They were like, nah, not in Baltimore. Fuck this.
0: I'll be honest,
1: part of the reason I'm so upset is (laughs) because once the pandemic started and I realized laws were made up, I was like, hey, I could probably get a free scooter. And then that's when all the scooters disappeared. So other people must have the same thought.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like, we're talking about taxi cabs and how uber came in and disrupted the taxi cabs like people spent hundreds and thousands of dollars for medallions in new york city yeah and they set themselves up around this thing that was here and uber comes in and skirts all the laws Mm -hmm. and basically just tries to ask for forgiveness like that's not a way to run major metropolitan city is to have a company come in and be like all right we fucked everything up, but can you forgive us and just be down and part of the system now? It's, nah.
1: Yeah, and like this, they keep saying that they're job creators and this creates jobs, but I mean, let's look at Amazon. They're a perfect example. They use this crazy constellation of like independent contractors and like shell corporations to hire independent contractors to have no liability on their deliveries. So like when people get in accidents or something bad happens, they don't pay out any workers comp, stuff like that. And all of that did was take away Jobs from existing delivery drivers like that didn't create jobs, as they say. You know,
0: it created worse, worse-paying jobs, worse supportive jobs. It just kind of transferred the jobs,
1: right, to pay less. Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, this this is one of the things that just makes me utterly, utterly uh, infurious. Is the undermining of all these labor laws? Yep. And just the the way that the gig economy uh, pushing pushing a service onto uh, an independent contractor, which means someone who's self-employed, right? Um, and, then, and then just like no liability then is on the parent corporation. Um, furthermore, they don't have to pay overtime, don't have to pay people on the clock. You know, th- these have existed. Like Vic was saying, you're uh, a freelance person, independent mm-hmm. contractor. Typically, independent contractors are people with a lot of expertise that have their own mm-hmm. business. They can yep. actually refuse a job, yeah. Uh, totally. Whereas, from my understanding, with Uber, if if you refuse jobs, like eventually they use some euphemism for firing you. Yeah,
2: pretty much. Yeah, you don't get calls basically. Uh huh. Yeah. Sometimes you get put in timeout. Like if you refuse too many calls, and then you don't get calls for like a good like half hour or something, and you see other Uber drivers uh, driving around you. Like it's so ubiquitous. Oh you know what I mean? Like I could see them. It's not like my face isn't just buried in the phone. I could see them. But yeah. Then I'm not getting calls and i could see them driving around well it's because like they've they've tried to use they've tried to exploit existing law
1: around independent contractors that was like miles said designed for like higher wage like experts and not like low wage employees like that we're gonna probably be making like near minimum anyway um and like you said like they control your labor in a way that
2: it was never supposed to be intended for like a consultant yeah and they swear uber fucking swears that they don't control this shit (laughs) But, yeah, bro, like, I know it. I've, I've gone through it. I've gone through it. I've seen it. And like I said before, I had screenshots, and I compared them. I'm just like, yo, these incentives yep. do not add up anymore. They just yep. don't add up. And that, was a, this, um, that helped make the decision to be like, I'm going to stop doing this. If mm-hmm. the incentives were like when I first started, it's great. But, no, it's not, so I'm out. And then they get the next person and the next person. They all go through the cycle, and we have so many of us, so much of a need. Especially now during COVID, I'm sure they're like making tons of money right now.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. oh wait, wait, wait. Capitalists are profiting off of economic desperation again?
2: Oh, no. boy. Mm-hmm.
1: Again and again well, and again. And the, the reason this is like stuck so easily in the US legal system is A, because we're a failing state, but B, um, not a lot of these folks had the means, of course, to like take Lyft and Uber to court, especially Uber, like, has a very like they have these billions of dollars, they get pumped into them. They have very good lawyers, and mm-hmm. they settle a lot of court. They pull all kinds of tricks. Um, and in California, I mean, it it took till t- summer 2018 to even have a Supreme Court ruling in California that kind of like delineated between employee, independent contractor. And this is where this shit started.
0: <laughs> right. So it took nine years, nine years for uh, the state of California to do anything.
2: Ah, uh, from 2009 to 2018. Yeah, like oh, you know,
1: about ten years, and you know, like like you said, these, these incentives that the apps use and stuff like that, that is control of your labor just because it has a friendlier face than, like, an actual boss telling you what to do. Um, and, of course, like, Lyft and Uber, like, freaked out over these regulations and, like, have fought it the whole way. And it had to be codified uh, by Assembly Bill 5 in 2019 by the state legislature to even, like, give that Supreme Court ruling teeth. Wow. So, if y'all didn't realize how, like, bullshit and fucked up the court systems were, like, now you're realizing that California Supreme Court literally made this ruling and the legislator made a ruling and we're still basically in the same situation.
2: They're just ignoring it. Effectively.
1: And they're suing, you know, like the gotcha. attorney general suing them and they're suing, but like Counter nothing's
2: states. changed for the workers. Exactly. Materially, nothing has changed. Yeah. yeah. Which
0: which to me, to me, I mean, from if we you know, historically it's always been workers have re- who have really pushed for for things to change. So It makes me wonder, you know, what what will it take to really get workers on the ground, Uber workers, other gig workers, um, to strike, to strike en masse, right? And I I think I think there's been some of that with like the Instacart, Mm -hmm. uh, most recently the Instacart workers, yeah, um, and with Uber as well, obviously, um, because there is has been some legal action, but the economics are, you know, seem to always be more effective and and political.
2: Yeah, trying to, like, you know, activate my union and learning about how, you know, talking with different socialists, actually. Talking with some um, people in East Bay DSA in their labor contingent. And they are just like, yo, man, like, it has to come from the workers and points to agitation. But it also has to, we have to have a way to collectively organize around that. And how can that happen when everyone is separately in their cars? Yep. When they go into yep. Facebook groups and disrupt Point. Facebook groups, you know, private Facebook groups, like SHIP does, Ship does this. Like they go into private Facebook groups and disrupt them and stop union talk. Like yep. that's been documented.
0: Oh, union busting. Yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. On a but Facebook they're not group.
0: our employees. We're exactly. not. union bus, So why? They, it,
2: they're independent contractors. Uh huh. And so, like, I, to that question, Miles, I don't know how they're going to, how it's going to come from labor, especially when more and more of our fucking workers are considered gig economy workers like they're i don't know i want to say social media but that's that's not where we practice politics effectively is it
0: yeah yeah maybe at least in the case of uber drivers we all just have to get out of the cars
1: well uh i can tell you how it's not gonna change and i'll tell you well not for the better (laughs) uh here's an example of the dark side of electoralism and uh, direct democracy, Uh, California prop 22 is coming up in November. Mm -hmm. So in California, we have like the kind of weird direct democracy system where you can like pass props, propositions that like do stuff. And uh, basically prop 22 is put up by these um, gig, gig economy companies to overturn assembly bill five and the Supreme court ruling to make it so all gig workers would be classified as independent contractors again under the law. So that would like totally destroy any progress that's been made. And they poured Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, PostMason, Instacart, pulled a, poured $110 million into this shit to get it on the ballot. Dude, that's to get it on the fucking ballot. Uh, that's not even My to promote God. it. They're no, going
2: to fucking no. pour on, probably almost like half a billion dollars when it's all said and done. and to Buy get money online, yeah. Oh.
0: Do, do you know how many signatures they need to get it on the ballot?
1: It's got to be. Not off the top of my head. I think it's like 250000 something like that. But they oh could my do God.
2: it. But they could do it, you know, with enough money and resources. Yeah. You could hire people at 15 bucks an hour or 7 bucks an hour. And they could. You could hire independent contractors. Hi, yo. But that's literally
1: what they do. They get the, the signature people get paid per signature. Stop. Stop. Oh. Oh. It's <laughs> ranked to, it to you. So, That's I mean, terrible. like, when we were trying to line up an interview for this episode, we reached out to the Gig Workers Collective to try to interview people on the ground at, a, like, a Ship It protest in front of Target. Didn't work out, unfortunately, because they're not doing anything in California at the moment, just because, like, Ship It turns out already uses that shitty algorithm here. But when I talked to the organizer, they were like, hey, uh, I don't have, I can't connect with you on this, this thing, but I would love some support later to fight Prop 22. <laughs> So this is uh, a big, gonna be a big fight for gig workers. Oh, uh, I'm down.
2: I'm a'ight, down if I'm Prop 22. No doubt, no doubt. That's the call to action at the end of the episode. Look up Prop 22. We'll add links in the show notes. Listen, tell all the confused people that you're gonna meet how bad it is because I'm sure they're
1: gonna put out ads that are like, if vote Prop oh, 22, God. it makes it so you uh, you can have a job.
2: <sighs> yep. It's gonna if be- you don't <gasps> vote for Prop 22, you want to kill Uber drivers. Yeah. It's like yeah. they're gonna yeah. have a little baby on the screen, (laughs) and it's like, yes or no? Do you want to kill this baby? Yes or no? And it's going to be that. And then how we're going to fucking battle that. I got this
0: image of, like, a, a baby in, like, a baby seat versus one not in a baby seat. Oh, my seat. God, like, yes. Support Prop 22, or you don't want babies to have baby seats or something like that. Yo, like, I
1: can't wait to see a pic of, of Vic on, like, the boom mic recording this this oh uh, God.
0: ad, this TV ad no, slot, no. and being like, no. <laughs> it pays the bills, man, it pays the bills.
2: Oh, no. my God. I, I keep my mouth <laughs> shut doing a lot at work. But, like, a fucking Prop 22 ad? No, dude, I can't. The fucking we were sharks g- who gonna be there like writing this shit? Oh, oh, no.
0: Giving me the willies. <laughs> I
2: know, right? Yeah, exactly. Vampires, bro, demon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier about how important political education is. And like this is one example yeah. of why it's so important and why it's so difficult. Just because there's these freaking corporate interests that are given free reign with their money to just influence people's perceptions just over the line. And and this is what we struggle against on the daily because the first battle is in people's minds. Yeah, what the possibility is.
1: All right, everybody, Jordan here. Uh, we've got two great guests lined up to talk about gig worker organizing. We've got Jordan P. Hey, Jordan, how you doing?
4: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for coming on. I'm always happy to have someone with my exact name to confuse things. And then we have A.M.
3: Hi, thanks for having me as well. Welcome,
1: welcome. welcome. So could you two uh, just give us a bit of an idea of what you do as organizers in the gig worker space?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, So I am the coordinator of Soldiers of Pole, which is a labor movement to unionize strippers all across America. Basically. Um, So, yeah, pretty entrenched in that work. And um, Jordan works alongside of us as well. So, I'll let her speak for herself.
4: Yeah, I'm a law student at UCLA. I'm going to be entering my third year of law school this fall. And um, I work a lot with Soldiers of Pole. I work with um, Unite Here Local 11. And um, in school, I've conducted Max, I've conducted some research on. Um, the gig economy and independent contracting, especially as it pertains to uh, the strip club industry, but also in general.
1: Wonderful. It seems like you're both really involved in that work. Can you, it seems like you were involved with uh, enforcement of AB5. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what AB5 is and what your work was around it?
4: Yeah. So um, I was in a law clinic last semester at my law school uh, called the Worker Law and Organizing Clinic. Um, which is led by Professor Samir Ashar. And in that clinic, um, I had the opportunity to work with other local organizations that were working on enforcing AB5. And AB5 is the law that went into effect January 1st, 2020, that reclassified most independent contractors in the state of California to employees. By changing the legal standard by which a worker's classification is designated from one that was really complicated and factor based to one that's a lot more straightforward and also casts a really wide net for who would be considered an employee.
1: So can you tell us a little bit about why uh, misclassification is such an issue for workers?
4: Yeah, um, I worker misclassification is really a way of undermining the rights of workers. The only real difference, I mean, the fundamental difference between an independent contractor and employee is that an independent contractor is a worker who has no rights and no guarantees. An employee is a worker who has some minimum level of rights and guarantees. And that doesn't mean much. It's a low bar. Employee Employment law doesn't guarantee people so many things. It doesn't guarantee you full-time work. It doesn't guarantee you a good life. It, It guarantees very little but it does at least make some basic promises to workers. It tells you that you're gonna be getting minimum wage. It tells you that you'll get overtime if you work more than 40 hours a week. And in California, where there's stronger labor protections and labor laws than in a lot of other states, it means things like you're gonna get reimbursed if you have to take on costs of working. Your employer can't charge you to come to work. You don't have to provide your own materials to do the work that you do. Um, and so, when you see workers being misclassified as independent contractors, it's a way for an employer to shift a lot of their costs onto the worker and at the same time to steal wages from that worker. Um, and on a more conceptual level, one of the problems of independent contracting is that it creates a race to the bottom where there is no floor. And so employers are basically competing with each other to see how little they can give workers and get away with it and see like what types of substandard conditions workers are going to accept, which then also, of course, undermines everyone's wages and working conditions.
1: Definitely. And it, it seems like since AB5 went into effect, like, has that actually done anything? Cause I've seen, you know, obviously like Lyft and Uber are still doing gig contracting and I'm not sure what the situation is, um, for strippers either. Like what is it, has it helped? Are people being misclassified less? What's going on there?
4: I think AM should take this one.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, no, it hasn't helped. It's supposed to help. Ideally, it would help. We like the idea of it if it were working, but have not. nobody's done anything to make sure that these business owners are complying with the law. And furthermore, nobody did anything in the past either. Technically, all strippers are employees all over the country um and they have they're all misclassified currently and in the state of California they've been misclassified and nobody cared to follow up and check and see nobody asked us how it was going or what was happening for us and when we have in the past gone to government officials and tried to talk to them we often get laughed out of the offices um and then and then when we were on the phone with them you know it was during when covid was just about to hit and you know Julie Sue of the California favor- uh, California labor fed was, you know, had this really massive 500 person call. And, you know, at the very end of the call, I like basically, um, demanded attention on this call. I like spoke out of turn and I was like, make sure you pay attention to strippers, 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 strippers. And, uh, and we were promised things we were told oh we're going to pay attention and we're going to look out for you and it's not the first time we stood up in the room in front of hundreds of people and demanded that strippers be taken seriously and they just don't they just they aren't doing anything to check in or ask us or they just don't and so we have to continuously be like hey so we have some ideas in mind but no they're not doing anything to help not yet
1: and i mean yeah that's pretty fucked up that they are making these promises and not falling through like liberal politicians love to do. Um, I guess my question for you would be like, how widespread is this issue in the the stripping industry? And also like, is this newer? Because I know the gig economy took off in like the 2010s. Was it like, is this a new thing in the industry or how has that affected it?
3: Um, it's not an it's well, it depends on what you're asking is what new wage theft.
1: Uh, no, I mean like misclassification as
3: well, yeah, so they misclassify us so they they can practice wage theft. So the, all of the strip clubs, business models, the majority of them are built on wage theft. Um, some of them, if they're, if they're in a County or a state where they can have alcohol and topless or, or nudity, then they are able to make money off of also food and alcohol um but not in the state of California it's different if you if you have a nude club you can only sell like juice and water and so one of the issues is is they definitely do put the business owners in a position where they take away options for them to have revenue streams um not to say that the employers are also they also need to do their part in reimagining new revenue streams or coming together as a collective and going to the government and saying, Hey, you need to change these dumb laws because there's other states over here that have alcohol and nudity. And guess what? They don't have any more or any less problems than we do. And they actually, the business owners are able to make more money and therefore ideally those business owners that are able to sell something more, um, than just lab dances, then they would be able to use that money to properly classify their employees and pay them, but they're still not doing that. So those people are even worse because they're making a crap ton of money off of alcohol sales and food sales and they're practicing wage theft on top of it. At least the people in California have somewhat of an excuse, albeit it's not not a, a valid excuse. Yeah. So, you know, so there's just kind of like everyone's like, no one's really doing their part to make it right for the worker at the end of the day. And unfortunately also a lot of the workers in this particular industry don't really fully understand their rights and therefore they're not demanding. And they're also not taking a lot of action because they don't even know what their rights are, which is fine. We're all learning. learning. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yet they're being exploited because of that. So like for, Uh, for strippers, like, are they, when you say wage theft, are people like having their tips taken? They're not being paid hourly, I assume. Like, what does that look like?
3: They're not being paid hourly. They're, they, in some cases, have mandatory tip out. Um, they're, they're being charged to work, actually. They're being charged house fees anywhere from $20 to $160. Um, and in some cases, like at the Super, the Super Bowl event, this past, yes, this past year in 2020, they were literally taking the bags of money out of the dancers' hands. And so what, what that is indicative of is that we have a culture here where it's okay for the employers and the bouncers and the staff to continuously take money out of the workers' hands at via like, oh, you owe us dance money or you owe us house money, it's escalating to the point where they're just like yoink and literally taking money out of people's hands in some cases. And I hear other stories of like dancers leaving with only $20 because the club is taking so much of their money um and not giving them their cut that they're owed because they're being so emboldened with the wage theft that it's increasing and increasing and increasing. And we're hearing horror stories all over the country.
1: Yeah, the subtlety is totally not there, like literally grabbing sacks of money from workers. Um right, and
3: it's on video and, and like, it's God. horrific. Mm-hmm. What is a tip-out, by the way? Um, tip-out, so dancers at work, uh, strippers, they have to tip out the DJ, all of the bouncers, the manager, the waitress, bar staff, and if there's a valet, then a valet.
1: So... Cool. So you really are an independent contractor at that point because you're paying everyone in the fucking building.
3: Exactly. We pay wow. everybody's bills in the building.
1: Cool. Yeah, you're basically yeah. the owner at that point. Haha. Ha. Jeez, that's yeah. horrible. Mm-hmm. Um so can you tell me a little bit about what Soldiers of Pole is and what the the goal is there?
3: Yeah, so Soldiers of Pole is a is a labor movement for strippers specifically currently. Um, And the idea is to inform strippers of their rights um, and to really help them understand what unionizing means and what it can do for them. Um, Because it's not something they've been really introduced to regularly, the majority anyway. And so there's a lot of education that's happening, a lot of trainings, a lot of talking, a lot of writing, um, and a lot of sharing of stories just so that we can really get into um, people's minds that unionizing is a way to create you know a better happier workplace for them because what's been happening is no longer working so we need to pivot we need to do something and Mm -hmm. you know throughout history unionizing has proven that it's you know it's it's a great model it makes it's and and also you know i've been reading that it's better for the economy to have more unionized workers so
1: definitely and as a socialist, I would 1000% agree with you there.
3: Right, and so ultimately to finish answering your question, our goal is to unionize as many clubs as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, while at the same time um, leaving space for strippers that don't necessarily wanna be unionized but wanna know more about their rights, like it's not like, we're not like, well, if you're not unionizing with us, you're not with us. Like we still wanna be there as a resource for people, but ultimately yeah. our goal is to unionize as many clubs and dancers as possible.
1: That's great. I wanted to ask, uh, Am, you have a really good podcast called Yes, A Stripper that I listened to an episode of and liked. Uh, But I was curious, in your intro, you, you say the phrase,
3: On this podcast, we'll discuss how classifying each other as people and workers is dangerous to society and marginalized groups of people. Mm -hmm. Could you explain a little bit, like,
1: what that means?
3: Yeah, um, I think as a society, we spend a lot of time classifying each other as far as what type of work we do. Um, Something that we're seeing in the barista community right now is um, those people that are trying to unionize are being stigmatized as people who, like, well, why do you even like care? Because that job is temporary. Like, that's just like a whatever job, you know? And so like, that's a very similar sentiment that we hear as as strippers as well. And it just kind of reminds me of like, of like how we classify, like people who clean our houses and people who clean hotels and how we just like, we're really like, Oh, well that's your job and that's your job. And then we place like this label and this kind of like, characterization on a person based on what they do for work based on like we own your own stereotypes that you've been conditioned to have as you grow and so my argument is that just stop classifying each other for what you do for work period like whatever you do for work like you're you're contributing to society in some way and Also what we've seen is people classifying each other as far as what you choose to do with your body. So if you're a sex worker, you're a certain type of person. Um, And then we also see that within the sex worker community as well, where some sex workers are like, oh, well, I'm a stripper, I'm not an escort, I don't do that. I don't wanna be in the same room as an escort. Like I've heard sex workers say these types of things about each other and I find that to be damaging, divisive, Um, And by by basically saying, well, I'm just a stripper. Like I'm not a dirty dancer. Like she is then what it, what it sends the message to the listener that it's okay to be shitty to that other person because they're in a whole, they're in another classification level that I don't want to be associated with. So therefore now I look down on them and I treat them a certain way. And that's what continues to marginalize people and push them into the fray and keep them from being included in, in certain groups and activities and jobs and You know, so it's just like, you know, just let people be who they want to be, man, you know, just like chill (laughs) and stop being so like shitty to other people based on what they choose to do with their body and their life. And that, those are the types of conversations that I like to have.
1: Definitely. Cause that, that narrative is serving the bosses to break up. It seems like in, in your organizing, like this, uh, (laughs) hierarchy almost that people impose on sex workers, that probably gets in the way, right? Of what soldiers of is trying to do?
3: Well, definitely, definitely. And, and exactly what you just said, like the, the whole purpose of all of that way of thinking is to continuously pit us against each other so that we're not paying attention to the larger picture, which is, oh, actually you're my oppressor up there with all the power and all the money making all the decisions, but instead we're too busy like, well, you're this and you're that and I'm not this and I'm not that. And we're not even seeing what's actually happening hence the society we're currently living in right now and everyone's like oh this isn't real and life seems weird well yeah it's because we spent so much time not paying attention to the bigger pictures
1: and i know the work you're doing is uh inhibited by this like phobia of sex work and sex workers um i'm told that actually the hashtag of your podcast hashtag yes a stripper is banned on social media like
3: yeah, How does
1: all this phobia make it difficult to actually organize these workers?
3: So two things. Um, you are referring to what we love to call whore phobia. So just a little, a new word for you to add to your vocabulary. Um, and uh, yes, a stripper is not fully banned. It's what we call shadow banned on Instagram, which means they're only willing to show you a handful of posts out of probably thousands and thousands of posts because um Instagram wants to control what you see and what you don't see. Um, and so the hashtag was born from civilian pole dancers who dress up like strippers and wear the stripper shoes and dance like strippers, but use the hashtag not a stripper. So it's to classify themselves as well i can i act like this but i don't do i don't do the nasty things that the strippers do so don't because yeah, that's, that's
1: dirty work you know
3: right exactly don't you dare mistake me for that and so strippers were like um f that how about yes a stripper and there was like this whole like head-butting thing that happened in the community between the pole dancing community and the stripping community and i personally i ran for 11 years a pole dance fitness account and I've also been a stripper for 18 years. So I literally was like always in the middle of this crazy argument and fight, like looking at it from both sides. And ultimately definitely. I sided with strippers. Ultimately I sided. <laughs> with strippers, yeah.
1: Okay, definitely.
4: Yeah, well, one thing that came up earlier that I was, um, I wanted to respond to something you said um, about about like employment law and rights and the organizing that happens as soldiers of pole one thing that we learned really early on and that i that's been really reaffirmed by the research i've done is that strippers have been suing their clubs and winning forever in california and in other states that since the 90s there's a huge amount of precedent and they win almost all the time especially on misclassification cases they win over 93 percent of their cases so what and that's just that's in every jurisdiction in the whole united states they win over like 90 percent of the time when they sue the clubs and that has not changed anything that hasn't changed the systematic misclassification that's still happening in nearly every state it still happens in california where we have the ab5 test where all you know i mean the abc test and ab5 where all of a sudden that it is like there's a huge presumption it's supposedly what everyone was worried about what everyone was saying all of the business owners was this is going to force us to classify people as employees um but it god forbid they still break the law they still mm-hmm. misclassify people as contractors that's really common and i think what that goes to show is that the law is not a force field and it's not magic and just because something is illegal will never stop your boss from doing it that's why you have to organize and a lot of times the conversations that happen that are very much like in the mud about, is it better to be an independent contractor? Is it better to be an employee? They miss the mark that it's best to be unionized. Like not even like having employment law, having rights and protections doesn't actually give you power. It doesn't build your power as a workforce. It doesn't make you stronger than your boss. It doesn't force your boss to sit down at the bargaining table with you. That's what organizing does. And so at the end of the day, like to me, it's may seem really obvious that it's better to have rights than to not have rights, but when those rights aren't being actualized and when those rights are not enforced, it really can be the same to have rights or to not have rights in the workplace. And the only real difference between, you know, any, any, being any type of worker and any other type of worker is how much power you have. That's why there's employees working in fast food, whose employers are, you know, not giving them living wages. There's also employees working on wall street who make exorbitant amounts of money. So it's not yeah. whether you're an employee or not, that's going to give you power in the workplace and is going to like, give you a good life. I mm-hmm. think it's really a matter of using, of organizing with your fellow workers and using your power and exercising it.
1: Yeah. As they used to say on club penguin, what do you mean? You're being murdered. That's illegal. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. Yeah, because we, I mean, we're even seeing like another prop coming up to try to knock down AB5. Like it's, it's honestly been shocking to see ads. I've been misclassified mm-hmm. before as well. Like just how AB5 passed and it was like this big cacophony of like ads and then nothing really changed because like, turns out capitalists don't have to follow the law. Man, that's scary.
3: Yeah, its it's really frustrating. You're right. They made this law and then they didn't. And then it's like, why did you make the law if no one's following it. I don't understand. And I I actually had faith in my government for a minute when AB5 was passed. And now I'm kind of pissed about how they've handled it. Granted, we can always use COVID as an excuse. I feel like that's everyone's excuse these days. Oh, well, it's COVID, COVID this, COVID that. Um I just don't think that that I think maybe in the first month that was kind of an excuse but now it's like it's not an excuse anymore and um and the like the majority of strippers and maybe I don't really know what's happening in the other gig communities but I know for strippers specifically the reason they don't like AB5 is because when these employers figured out they had to pay their workers they found ways to practice more wage theft and almost double down on the house fees. And so the way the strippers are seeing it is, oh, this new law and being an employee, I make less money because they are only seeing what, how their employers are treating the law. <clears throat> They're not seeing how, um, how if it were implemented correctly, how it could benefit them. They're not seeing that because it's just not happening and nobody's listening.
1: Definitely. Yeah. That would
4: be some of our earlier Know Your Rights trainings. When we started leading Know Your Rights trainings um, at Soldiers, Pole, that's how I got involved with Soldiers of Poll initially. Well, after fangirling them really, really hard um, <laughs> and begging AM and Antonia to let me help in any way I could be useful. Um, they asked if like they they wanted to start organizing Know Your Rights trainings um, because Dynamax had just happened. AB5 was about to be enacted in law. And it was really a golden opportunity to start organizing. And a lot of people had so many questions about what does this mean for me, especially because this law passed that was supposed to make things better for them. And then their material conditions got worse. So people were like, what the fuck? So we started organizing these Know Your Rights trainings. And at the Know Your Rights trainings, we learned, you know, after a few trainings and also after us saying things that didn't match up with people's realities that, it didn't make sense to present things like you're there's independent contractors and there's employees and there's, those are the two types of workers. We started talking about it. Like there are three classes of workers, there's independent contractors, there's employees and there's workers who are organized and it's workers who are organized that have more rights than the other two combined and they have a much better. And that's what changes, you know, conditions. I I know I'm really reiterating what I've already said, but it was this like approach to talking about the law, that also helped soldiers up whole, I think, build power and trust because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't lawyers who were telling people things that just were blatantly did not explain their workplace conditions. It was Antonia and AM who have spent their whole lives in the industry and, you know, with the support of legal team who could talk a little bit about, you know, some of the like, some of the laws and answer questions. But at the end of the day, it was really a chance to bring people to the table and get to know each other and to learn what was going on. I thought that that was just like such a cool way to get started with organizing and trying to build community. And I I think that's part of the reason that it's been so
3: successful. Yeah, so to follow up on what Jordan was saying, um, we really had to build from the ground up because these dancers you know they're they're not familiar at all with what it's like being an employee much less being unionized and you know unionize the word unionizing is that also has stigma attached to it and so we also have to educate them about what being unionized means and like Jordan said yes Antonia Crane our founder and I we have been stripping Almost our entire adult lives, and it was just the two of us. Um, but now our team has grown into an extremely diverse, um, pretty robust team. Uh, we're fifty percent um, Black Indigenous people of color. We're, I think, forty five percent LGBTQ, or actually seventy percent. That's right. It's we're seventy percent LGBTQ. Um, we have, uh, a, the disabled and the trans community represented on our team. Um, and so, and that all happened in about a year's time where it was just Antonia and I, and then we added on Jordan and cut to 12 months later. Um, here we are with this extremely robust, diverse team. Um, and we're talking to strippers all over the country and they're all dealing with mostly the same issues. Um, I think California is the only one that's truly unique because we're the only ones formally recognized as employees. Um, but I can tell you that strippers all over the country are starting to become very aware of the fact that they are misclassified and that they have been stolen from all of these years for all of this time. And so, um, we have, despite the massive hurdles and the huge mountain we're climbing, we still feel like we are making headway and, you know, we can say positive things.
1: Definitely. And I want to ask it seems like you're having a really successful national expansion, which is great. But is there any clubs in Los Angeles or the Long Beach area that you're trying to unionize?
3: Yeah, we're in talks with um, a few different people in different parts of the state. Um, That's as much as I can say. Um, But it's definitely, you know, COVID definitely slowed down that process because, um, you know, it's harder to be angry when you're not at your place of work being shit on, it's easier to be more complacent cause it's not happening to you right then and there. So it definitely did slow the process. We had, we were having um, meetings in different parts of the state, right? Leading up to COVID like in-person meetings. Um, and then that all obviously had to stop and we had to regroup. And then we had to deal with our affected strippers because tons of strippers all over the country weren't getting, they weren't eligible for unemployment. And so we had to find ways of, um, and that's another thing that our organization does is we don't just try to unionize, we also do mutual aid and we do fundraisers and we gave um, <clears throat> about seven, $7,000 away, maybe more to um, uh, either undocumented or people of color, Uh, You know, the most marginalized groups in our community, we were doing fundraisers and mutual aid for them. um, But because so many of them didn't have the assistance that we needed. And so a lot of our time and energy, like countless hours we spent compiling resources for these strippers so that they could get the pandemic unemployment assistance and so that they could get their bonus check from the government. You know, we had to help people figure out how to file taxes and connect them with accountants, you know? And so that was a lot of work, but it was very satisfying because a lot of people have success stories from that. So. Wow.
1: That sounds that sounds good but a lot a lot of really hard hard organizing yeah to bring those resources yeah
4: I think that what we also saw was that the pandemic brought to light like the violence of misclassification because all of a sudden, you know, for the first time for a lot of people they need to be on unemployment insurance right now. They need to be able to access disability if they get sick with COVID and they can't work. They will need to be able to access workers' comp if they get sick with COVID. Um, and all of these programs that people are excluded from when they're misclassified because their employers are no longer paying payroll taxes, those exclusions, it's, I think when times are good, they don't matter that much to you. You're not really feeling them, but it's really when you need them that it hurts to not have them. And we're seeing like all of a sudden that people are realizing that what misclassification can really mean what employment could mean
1: definitely and they they don't have those support structures now that they're well unemployed even though technically they were never employed right okay great um I think this has been I've I've learned a lot here this has been a really good conversation Uh, we're Mm kind of coming up on time here is there anything else uh, y'all want to talk about
3: Um, I, I would just want to say to everyone, like, I just want to remind people that, um, you know, strippers and sex workers are very valuable workers in your community and, um, to take the time to befriend a sex worker and be courteous and respectful and learn about what it is to be a sex worker and what, like what their life is like and how you can support that community because I guarantee you they're probably one of the most essential workers that we have on this planet and they should be very well respected and taken care of yeah
1: definitely a thousand percent um and like you said earlier you know this this hierarchy of of classification and like people looking down on sex workers is not only bad for sex workers but bad for all workers
3: yeah absolutely
1: And I know that's something that's been struggled with on the left of exclusion of sex workers from a lot of our leftist principles. That's terrible. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So, A.M., could you just tell us where to find your podcast, by the way?
3: Yeah, absolutely. You can find it pretty much anywhere where you find podcasts. My favorite two platforms are Spotify and YouTube. Um, I actually film my podcast so that you can see uh, the strippers' faces and you can put a voice A face to the voice. So YouTube is great. um, And it's just called Yes, a stripper podcast. Um, And you can also follow on Instagram at Yes, a stripper podcast.
1: Okay, great. Everyone check that out. We'll put that in the show notes. I'd like to thank Am and Jordan for coming on today.
4: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much.
1: So I'm glad we like researched this topic and covered it on this episode. Cause it's like something I think we all have heard about and understand that some of us have worked in, but like it's good to like dig in the specifics. You know, like how do they do this? How do they get away with it? And I really liked hearing earlier from some gig economy workers as well. Yep. Wow.
0: All right. Thank you for tuning in listener. This has been the, why am I talking podcast with miles and Vic and Jordan? Don't forget to ask yourself out there. Wait, what? why am I talking?
2: Fuck. Vic, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. I tried to call an audible at the last second. I fucked up. All right, my bad.
0: It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. All right. Blah, blah, blah.
2: I thought it'd be cool if we all could say it at the same time.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll do
1: why am I talking at the same
2: time? Yes. And like the person setting up could remember, ask yourself, wait, all three of us. Why am I talking?
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Wait, Why Am I Talking? This is Miles. This is Vic. This is Jordan. And don't forget to ask yourself out there, wait, "Wait, why why am I I talking?" talking?